Well, hello everyone. My name is Sue and I'm the pastor over groups at River Glen. I hope you all had a good Christmas with your family and friends and that you were able to attend one of our Christmas candlelight services, either in person or online. 2022 is right around the corner, but I'm glad I get to spend a few moments with you today from our online campus. You know, I've been thinking about the Christmas season and how even people who don't attend church or call themselves Christians, they still know about the connection between Christmas and Jesus. Even if they don't follow God, they've heard about the manger and the shepherds and the star above Bethlehem. I mean, because of Christmas carols and nativity sets and of course, the Charlie Brown Christmas special, the story of Jesus' birth is fairly well known. And the Christmas season is inspiring, really for everyone, because everyone can feel the joy and the peace and the promise wrapped up in a little baby. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I can feel a little let down after Christmas. The lights get put away, the anticipation of gifts and gatherings are over, and that feeling of inspiration from the candlelight service, it can fade in just a few days. But wouldn't it be great to extend the inspiration of Christmas? I mean, remember, Jesus didn't stay in that manger. He grew up and he had a mission, didn't he? He was born to bring God's kingdom to earth. And his mission was to reach as many as possible with the good news of that kingdom while he was here on earth, living in a human body. And as Jesus started to gather his first followers, he knew that they were gonna need a clear vision of what it looked like to reach the world. He wanted to inspire them to join him on the mission. And in the Gospel of Matthew, starting in chapter five, we see Jesus begin to paint a picture of how that mission would unfold. And he uses two metaphors that the people listening would understand. Listen to what it says in Matthew chapter five, verses 13 through 16. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for everything, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now, I believe that these metaphors of salt and light are still relevant to us today. And as we get further away from Christmas, we can rely on these same word pictures to keep us inspired. I mean, what if those around us were attracted to faith because we were salt and light in the world? If our lives helped people to see Jesus and made people thirsty for a new way to live, I believe we can be inspired to live intentionally in our next season, in this new year that's just around the corner. Because when we embrace what it means to be salt and light with our lives, we're inviting others to draw near to God, to get a taste of faith and see clearly the difference it makes to follow him. So let's take some time to look a little closer at Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5 and, and dig in a little bit to these metaphors of salt and light so we can understand their relevance to those first followers of Jesus, as well as to us today. And when chapter five opens, we find Jesus up on a mountainside with his disciples. It says that there were crowds of people at the bottom of the mountain and Jesus begins to teach them. 
Now there's three chapters in Matthew's Gospels that are referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And Mount is just short for mountainside, where Jesus starts giving this long sermon. And he tells people that following his teaching is going to be radically different than the religious teaching that was prevalent at the time. These folks, they were used to rules for behavior, very specific rules, rules for family life and work life and religious life. But Jesus wanted to offer a new way to live, to change the narrative. So he starts his sermon with a focus on inward character rather than outward behavior. And in verses 3 to 12, he shares a list of attitudes. Attitudes that describe a life that pleases God and brings blessings. He talks about humility and self-control, about desiring justice and showing mercy to others, about not seeking our own gain, but promoting peace. And he talks about understanding our own sin and our need for a savior. And Jesus is honest with this crowd. He tells them that these traits, they're gonna bring blessings from God, but they could also result in persecution from other people. Because in Jesus' time, just like today, many people had a goal of getting ahead, saying things and doing things that would mean more power and more success, a higher standing in their community. There was value placed on looking out for yourself and prioritizing your own needs and your own goals. Thinking about others first, that was not the norm in Jesus' day. Sounds a lot like our society today, doesn't it? I think Jesus started his mountainside sermon with this list because he had the end in mind. He knew his time on earth was short. It was only about two years after this sermon that Jesus would be sentenced to death, death on a cross. And Jesus was focused on building the kingdom of God here on earth. He was inspiring the people who would take his message of love and mercy and forgiveness to the world. And I think Jesus knew that people living out the values of verses 3 to 11, they were going to attract the attention of others. And he wanted as many people as possible to get a taste of this new way to live, to clearly see the difference it would make to follow him. So he used language that they would understand. Live like this, he says, and you will be salt. Follow me, he tells them, and you will shine a light in the world. He wanted to make those listeners see the potential, the unlimited potential to spread his message of a new way to live. And that potential, it hasn't waned. Even more than 2,000 years later, living God's way still attracts attention. When we embrace what it means to be salt and light with our lives, we're inviting others to draw near to God. The salt and the light metaphors, they made sense to the people sitting at the base of that mountain, and they can inspire us today. In Jesus' time, salt was a very valuable commodity. I mean, Roman soldiers at that time, they were routinely paid in salt. In fact, when a soldier wasn't performing up to standards, that phrase, not worth his salt, originated. And the Jewish Mosaic law at the time required that any grain offerings presented to God be salted. So when Jesus declared to his listeners, you are the salt of the earth, he was communicating how valuable their mission would be. The listeners that day also understood the importance of salt as a preservative and a seasoning agent, just like we understand salt today. 
but with no refrigeration in the first century, meat or fish would have quickly spoiled if it wasn't packed in salt. The salt both preserved the food and made it taste good. And Jesus was effectively saying, hey, as my followers, both then and now, you're going to be preserving these inner attitudes in the world. You will bring the distinctive flavors of God's values to life. Where there's strife in the world, Jesus' followers are the peacemakers. Where there's sorrow, Jesus' followers minister comfort. And where there's hatred, Jesus' followers show love. The spiritual choices of a believer, it can counteract the corruption in the world and even disrupt the power of sin to destroy people's lives. And living in such a radically different way, it creates opportunities for the good news of Jesus' love and forgiveness to be shared and received. Of course, salt's not really useful for itself. Its value really comes when it's applied to other things. The salt has to be in contact with the meat or the fish to preserve it. And to be effective salt in our world, we have to be involved where we work or live. We need to get close to people, let our lives come in contact with theirs through conversation and service and the sharing of mutual interests. Followers of Jesus who build close personal relationships with others, they have an influence on their neighborhoods and society. And as verse 13 continues, Jesus adds a little bit of a warning to his message. Listen to what he says. He says, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, Jesus isn't saying here that we can lose our salvation, but he is saying we can lose our saltiness. And salt becomes impure when it gets mixed with other elements, elements that can make it less salty or cause it to lose its function. And when we let apathy or sin creep into our lives, we're no longer salty. We lose our effectiveness in attracting others to Jesus. But when we intentionally seek God's values, as outlined in the Bible, we can become salty again. So those around us will develop a thirst for the way we live. When we embrace what it means to be salt with our lives, we're inviting others to draw near to God. In the second metaphor, Jesus calls his followers to be the light of the world. Let's read that section again, starting in verse 14. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let, those sh let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, those living in the rural area where this mountainside teaching was happening, they understood perfectly how blinding the darkness can be. Even the glow of a city off in the distance could give people in the dark a sense of direction and ease the anxiety of not being able to see. You know, when Jesus spoke of lighting a lamp and then putting it under a bowl, the crowd might have even laughed because it would have seemed ridiculous to them. It was common for a small oil lamp to light up an entire home. It would have been foolish to hide it under anything. Now, since most of us have never lived without the convenience of electric light, we might miss Jesus's point here. We've always just been able to flip a switch in a dark room, but the implication is clear. Our faithfulness should be evident to all who watch us. And the lives of Christ followers, they're like 
a light in the darkness of a sinful and evil world, shining brightly and showing a different way to live. The Apostle Paul talks about shining our light in Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. He says that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Paul was making this challenge to one of the first churches after Jesus' resurrection, but it continues to apply today. There are still plenty of crooked and twisted things in our generation. And the Greek word used for lights at the end of this verse in Philippians is phostir. This is similar to the word used for the beacon that shines from a lighthouse. That beacon is bright, unmistakable, and it serves as a warning for danger. It directs ships to a safe harbor and it provides hope for those who are lost. You know, every day we come in contact with people who are lost. They're stumbling around in the darkness of sin and separation from God. And Jesus is challenging us, even today, to be beacons of light that direct others to a new way to live. When we embrace what it means to be light with our lives, we're inviting others to see God clearly in us. Jesus ends this section of the sermon saying, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Jesus is challenging the people on the mountain. He's saying, just like he's challenging us today, he's telling us to do good. Our light shines the brightest when we're doing good in the world. And people are going to notice when you choose to act in a different way. Maybe they'll even ask you, Hey, has something changed about you? And in that moment, we have an opportunity to talk about our faith, to talk about the influence that God is having in our lives, about how Jesus is changing our priorities and taking our focus off of ourselves and onto serving others. You know, I love how these two metaphors really work together. You know, we choose a salty way of life, a life that emulates the character of Jesus, and it makes us shine brightly. People get thirsty for what we have, and then they turn towards the light that's shining out from us. They begin to seek to know more, wondering, where is this beautiful light coming from? And we have the opportunity to point to Jesus, to explain how life surrendered to him has made a huge difference for us, for now and for all of eternity. I want to leave you today with a couple of challenges, challenges to make the most of being salt and light in the world as a Jesus follower. These challenges would be a great way to start off 2022 and to keep the inspiration of the Christmas season alive every day. Okay, first challenge. Embrace the attitudes that Jesus talked about as he opened his Sermon on the Mountainside. Look for ways to humbly serve others, to practice self-control when you would normally lash out, to extend mercy instead of demanding retribution, to be a peacemaker rather than an instigator, to fight for justice for those who are alone and oppressed. Take some time this next year and, and read through that Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Ask God to give you a clear picture of Jesus' character. Look at how he treated people and look for opportunities to do the same. Okay, second challenge. Practice the good deeds that shine light on who God is and how he loves the world. Find a place to serve this next year, in the church, 
or in the community. As you serve people, your life is going to become a beacon, pointing people to the God you're following. Next challenge, guard against losing your saltiness. You know, the best way to guard against apathy or sin creeping into your life is to intentionally surround yourself with other followers of Jesus. People who can pray for you and encourage you. People who can be trusted to point out when you need to get back on the right path. If you're one of those people that said, I should be in a group, 2022 is your year. We can help you get connected to others so you can stay salty and shiny. Okay, final challenge, amplify your light. You know, Jesus doesn't just warn us not to hide our light under a pot. He actually encourages us to place our light on a stand, even up on a hill, so it shines even further. And I want to challenge you to take a risk this next year to make your faith known to others. Maybe you could tell someone your story about how God is changing you. Or maybe you reach out to someone you've had a difficult relationship with in the past and try to mend that relationship. Do something that would be outrageous for you. It's going to look different for everyone, but you know what would be stretching in your life and what would amplify the light inside of you. You know, when we embrace what it means to be salt and light with our lives, we're inviting others to draw near to God. You know, if there had been social media in Jesus's day, his sermon on the mountainside, it might have gone viral. There would probably have been pictures and videos and tweets about these radical new ways of thinking and behaving. But Jesus didn't want to just be a trend in his day. He was focused on building a kingdom, a kingdom where love and mercy and serving others was the norm, a kingdom where anyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And Jesus is still building that kingdom today. That's why the metaphors of salt and light are still relevant and still inspiring because there's still work to be done. There's still people to reach who need to know the difference it can make to follow Jesus. As we move into a time of communion, I want to invite everyone watching to participate right where you are. You're going to need something to symbolize Christ's body, maybe some bread or a cracker, and you'll need something to symbolize Christ's blood. Some juice or water will do. You know, Jesus really brought salt and light into reality in his own person. He was the light of the world, set up on a hilltop, crucified for all the world to see, becoming that beacon of hope and new life for everyone. And he was the salt of the earth, drawing people to worship the Father by embodying that way of self-giving love every day he was here on earth. As we eat and drink, let's remember, Jesus didn't lead us, leave us to figure it out on our own. No, he went first. And he empowers us every day through the Holy Spirit to live out this mission. Let's shine God's light brightly in this next year. Let's live in a way that makes those around us thirsty to know the truth. I'm gonna pray and then we can take communion together. Father, you are the best example of what it means to be salt and light. You lived as Jesus in our world, loving and leading people to follow you. And so God, help us to embrace your priorities, to put others first and invite those we know to explore the faith that we've found. Thank you for forgiving us and for putting your light inside of us through the Holy Spirit. 
We pray that in this next year, many people would seek you because of the way we are salt and light in this world. Pray all these things in Jesus' name.